Can you hear me okay? This is going to be particularly challenging with fans. So we'll see how this goes. Bigger? Right. Um, tomorrow, I may ask you to come in really close. Um, as I, I was sitting, it, what came up is that I wanted to just talk about Zazen. And um, why we do it and what it is and some of the mechanics of it. So first, most of us are accustomed going through our lives with the body doing what the mind tells it to do. I want ice cream, I go get ice cream. I want something bothers me, the body responds to the thing that bothers it. The body's kind of doing what our impulses want it to do. And we generally just follow through with them without much question, unless those impulses are causing us harm. It usually requires a certain level of harm for us to reevaluate and ask something about those impulses. But if the harm level isn't there, then business as usual. Impulse, respond. Zazen begins to flip that where the mind starts to be trained by what the body is doing. The body sits still and the mind fights like crazy to take control over the body again and can't because you've made a decision not to move. But the body and the mind don't usually just decide to do that. The, a tradition has to train a body which has to retrain a mind. There has to be a tradition that holds the counterintuitive process of flipping that relationship. Individuals don't get us there. We don't get there as individuals. Because if we come to ourselves as individuals, well, what my individual self says is do what your mind tells you to do. That's who I am. Whatever my mind happens to be saying about who I am at the moment or what I need, that's what I call me in the beginning. And so why wouldn't I just follow through with those things? It seems to make sense. But what the tradition tells us, what the Buddhist tradition tells us, is we are not free. That that process of following through with whatever our mind tells us to do is the definition of suffering. There's no freedom there. And so we have to do this really counterintuitive thing, which is to be free, be absolutely still. In being absolutely still 
the mind's impulsive, compulsive, suffering nature is seen. Now, first, the way it's seen usually is a kind of struggle for years sometimes. Just kind of a struggle with being still. I don't want to be still. This is stupid being still. All of the things that happen, I could be doing something more productive. I'm suffering miserably. All of the things that happen when the body just stops. And the body and mind, there's not a division, so they're quieting together. The whole thing is quieting together. The body is quieting, deeply influenced by beliefs, deeply influenced by the mind, deeply influenced by what we believe ourselves to be, the way we've been trained to think of ourselves. The body is influenced by that. It gets crushed into postures. It gets twisted and turned into all kinds of ways. And so the body is also wake by being still. So it isn't just, okay, the body needs to be still. Because the body has been trained by the way the mind has been convinced to be. And so we don't just say, put your body in any position and be still. Because you might contort yourself into the position that you've been trained to be in, which is just going to reinvigorate the mind you've been trained to be in. Because they are like this. The body is contorted around our karmic dispositions. And so we have to offer something else. We have to offer what we call being upright with the body. So not just still, but a particular kind of body. And so I just want to say a little bit about that particular kind of body. So one thing is we find a stable base. A stable base is important. We all have different bodies. And at this point, I'm not talking about the way that we've been trained to be, but just simply the limitations of our body. And those are linked. Sometimes the way we have been trained to carry our bodies, be in our bodies, or so on, has resulted in ways that the body is that makes a certain kind of flexibility or movement or whatever it is difficult to do. I often bring this up. A society trained as chair sitters has an effect has an effect on strength in our body, it has an effect on the way we um, regard the body holding itself up. We kind of give that away. And so now we're asking everybody to hold their body up. I'm going to rephrase that line. Not for us to hold our body up, for our body to hold itself up. This is not a will thing like, I'm going to hold my body in a certain way. That's just more of the same. That's not giving the body the ability to be what it naturally is. So we come into these spaces and we sit down and we're carrying a whole history of conditioning around the mind and the body. All of us. Some of us are conditioned in, some, in a way where zazen is really easy. 
the particular posture. Not the mind part. I don't think anybody gets past that. But the, the posture part is easier. For some of us, the posture is really, really hard. It took two years for me to get into a place where I could actually relax in this. So the stability, for those of you who can sit like in some form of this, great. Um, I'm not going to go into, there are a few ways to sit. You've usually had Zazen instruction, you know some idea of, are you in full lotus right now or half? Okay, that's half with one foot up. If the other foot were up there, that'd be full lotus, if, ever, if people can see Yoko. One foot totally up on the thigh is half lotus. This is Burmese, often called Burmese, one foot in front of the other. You're sitting kind of a quarter, I don't know what the name is for that, but we do it all the time. It's like a quarter lotus or a kind of halfway between Burmese and, and, and um, half lotus, which is putting your foot up on your thigh like that. Um, not thigh, calf. And, um, but the most important thing about sitting, and so I often sit in what we call seiza, which is a kneeling position. Many of you do that, sit in a seiza position. The most important, or you sit in chairs. I'll talk about chairs in a second, because that's a little bit of a special situation in terms of how the legs have to work. But the most important thing about however you seat yourself on the ground, two things. One is to find a stability, they're interlinked, to find a stability that allows the legs to let go. Okay, so in other words, like right now I'm not using my leg muscles to stay upright. We will usually do that at first. Our legs will get involved with our ability to stay upright. But over time, the legs are just released into the earth. They don't have to do anything except be the foundation. They don't have to micromanage the waist up. Okay. When they're sitting, it's a little harder to find that place. When you're sitting in a chair, it's a little harder to find that place where the legs can just release. They kind of get involved a little more. So sometimes it's good to, it, whatever it takes to put, you might put cushions under your feet so that it raises the legs up a little bit and allows you to release. Whatever it is that gets you to a place where you can start to think about the torso as free from the legs. So that the legs are just able to be the earth, really. And then there's this thing that happens here, and this is where I want to talk about this piece because sometimes we can think of the sitting practice as kind of plopping down a little bit, as if we're just letting the body, as if stillness, and all of these things I'm saying have both physical meaning and mental meaning. We can think of stillness as just kind of dropping and being plopped down. And the mind, when we do that with the body, the mind can get hazy. The mind can get sleepy. The mind can become enervated. It can just kind of slog through a zazen period because we're letting the energy drop 
because the body is just dropped into place. So this area in the lower abdomen, there is an energy in those lower muscles that just lifts, just lifts a little bit. Like if you release your, like if you release the muscles in your mouth and it, oh, they open. You just feel your chin drop. There's this little bit of raising that just opens up space here in the lower abdomen so that you can feel your torso come slightly out of the pelvic floor. And now there's, there's a, almost like a lightness and a, and a space there. It takes some, a little bit of muscle work at first if we're used to just doing this, right? It takes a little bit to lift that out. But it's not an overstretch. We're not going crazy. We're just creating space, a little space between the legs. And at first you might feel your, um, your leg muscles engage to be able to do that if you're not used to doing it. So when that space happens, you can just release your leg muscles, bring open that space with your lower abdomen, release the leg muscles until there's a feeling of this lifting up out and again your legs returning to relax. Now this works whether we're in kneeling position, it works in this position, it's a little harder in the chair, but it can do it. I mean, I've sat in chairs and I focus on this and you can bring, you can lift your torso out a little bit and just have that space. Now, some people talk about it tipping, you know, they talk about tipping the pelvis in order to, because it's easy on your back. Yes, and it can have problems over time if the pelvis is always tipped because it can create a smushing of your lower spine. So when this lifts, same thing in the back. There's a slight lift, just an ever so slight lift in the, with the lower back muscles. So that you can feel that this space, the reason this space is important is because Zazen is a place of being ready. It's not a place of being plopped down. It is a bodhisattva's compassion, ready to step forward to respond to something, right? It is not a, I'm just kind of plopping my body down. It's training the body in a ready stillness. Now, it's not focusing on doing something in particular because we don't know what's going to be presented. We don't know what the next thought is going to be. We don't know what the next suffering is going to be. We don't know what the next thing is going to be. So it's not the body leaning toward anything. But it is the body being in awake. The body being awake. And one of the ways we're not awake is by letting this drop. Right? So to wake this part of the body up, this will have an effect on the mind. And another place we drop because of chairs is we drop here in the middle. Right? We let this collapse forward, which, which by the way, is going to give you all kinds of pain up here. But, um, but to just let, again, let the upper abdomen lift that just slightly. It doesn't take much. Below the diaphragm, just lift that up ever so slightly. And then the shoulders get to just relax. They don't have to do any work. If this is lifted slightly, if the back is lifted slightly, if the diaphragm is lifted slightly, then the shoulders can just be shoulders. They don't have to muscle. They don't have to keep the body upright. They can just relax back and down. Now, all of this takes time. 
and, and, and just becoming aware that I think these three points are really important in checking in to see if there is space there. Also, it begins to open up kinds of wisdom that are unavailable to us when we let our bodies do this. When this slight lift happens, energy comes into the hara, comes into the lower dantian. This is often an area that we just emotionally shut down. And when that slight lift occurs, you can feel now there's energy in that space that begins to come, that begins to wake up, just letting the space to be there. Over time, as this clears of, I don't even want to say clears, as we discern fear, confusion, all of the things that get in the way of the energy down in this part of the body, as we discern that, this becomes a place of deep knowing that underpins this kind of more shallow way of thinking. So letting this open up and energize, in fact, and I know some do this and some don't, but I just want to say what the tradition does. When this is slightly lifted and this energizes, it becomes very quick, clear where to put the mudra. Because the lower part of that energy, where that lift is, the pinkies can just be there. Now they're not just plop down, right? We do this where the knuckles, the tips of the fingers touch the middle knuckles on both sides and then the thumb tips just slightly touch. They don't press hard, they don't release. They just touch each other. And then they, um, my robe's in the way a little bit here, okay. Then they, the pinkies are kind of at the, if you have a bit of a belly like I do, it's very easy to find, um, but the, um, it's almost like the bottom of that belly where that energy of that lift is, that's where the pinkies and, and these lower fingers are, and then the thumbs touch just below the navel. Or for some people, maybe slightly above, depending on where they are. But you're circling that energetic region. Right? That energetic reason is being circled because it brings the mind's attention to that place. And over time, this mind begins to root itself there and quiet down because it's as if this is the surface of the ocean and this is the depth of the ocean. This is moving much more slowly. It's discerning much more quietly. It's giving information from, an, from the body in a way that this can't access. Thinking mind can make any argument there is. These two minds do not make any argument there is because they're deeply rooted in connection. And so there are limits to what um, the heart knows very clearly not to harm another person. Not because it has to think it through, but because it's deeply connected in the same way you know there's a cushion there. That's the way the heart knows kindness. It doesn't have to say, I don't have to say, is there a cushion there or not? The way the eye sees form, the heart sees connection and discerns connection. It doesn't require the pros and cons list for doing things. And the same thing for this in a deeper kind of central interconnectedness.
And so there is, um, there is an opening this up, not letting the heart and solar plexus close off, not letting the heart close off, just letting this face open up, letting the shoulders relax, marking these places. And then one other thing, there is this notion of the tongue being tipped so the I mean the tongue, the chin being back a little so the back of the neck is open. The main thing to attend to there is that neither the throat nor the back of the neck are closed, right? So however you have a sense of that for yourself. You know, if, if this is, it's interesting because if we have a tendency of closing off our throat, we probably close off our voice. So that's one thing. And this, anytime I see you guys doing this, I know you're thinking. <laughs> this is thinking head. You know, this thing goes up, the head drops back, and you're off. So just opening that up, tucking the chin back, letting this open up, and then, you know, there being space. And the interesting thing about this thing we say about putting the string to the crown and pulling up, you can feel the chair habit in the middle of the back disappear. As that goes up, there's a little bit of a just stretch in the middle of the back that opens up. Just a little. Don't overdo it. You don't have to overdo any of these things. Just an awareness of all these aspects. Because some people may overcorrect. And if you're an overcorrector, know it. Yoko told me one time <laughs> when I was in one of her yoga classes, she said, if I tell people to extend, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> because I had a habit of ex overextending all the time. So know if you're an overextender. Know if you're somebody who counters with like an extreme, right? These are all very gentle movements. The yoga of the eyes is very important and usually not taken as seriously as it should be. Which is, we talk about the eyes being slightly open. Now, different things require different things, different ways of doing this. Sometimes you'll be working on inner energy and you'll close the eyes and do that, but I'm talking about the way we train in this way of doing it, which is the eyes are slightly open, 45, degree da 45 degrees down. The most important thing in this is that they are straightforward 45 degrees down. Because if we get lost in thought, our eyes will move to the usually to the upper right or the upper left, depending on your training. Louder? Um, depending on how we are, our eyes, when we're thinking, will move to the upper right or the upper left. So Zen has kind of put in place this way of keeping the eyes still. The other thing that's important about this is when we pay attention to something, our eyes usually move to where it is. Right? If I say pay attention to your foot internally, your eyes will go down to your foot. Fine, this is the way our eyes work. It tracks with whatever our intention is. Yeah. With Shikantaza, with this particular kind of Zazen, one of the things we're practicing by keeping all this very still is instead of, instead of intention moving from here to here to here to here, 
we're allowing the body's awareness to expand and include without moving. It's a different way of including. It's not, I need to pay attention to my foot now, so everything's going to go to there, including my eyes. It's just allowing awareness to expand to include the foot and the room and the people and everything else. We're falling back into a wide attention. Both attentions are necessary. Sometimes we have to concentrate. Sometimes our mind is so caught up in thought that we have to use singular concentration to focus on the breath just to get it back. And that's a good use of that kind of moving concentration. In fact, one of the reasons that we um, lasso that concentration and tie it to the breath is to get it, is to still it so that we can start doing this. By this being still and with the breath, this can begin, the body awareness, full body awareness can just to expand and begin to include everyone. We will use both, but when this very specific, when this pointed attention, I'll call one attention and one awareness, when this pointed attention is within this, it has a lot easier time because it's not so frantic it's not so, um, it can just move quietly from this thing to this thing to this thing because this large awareness kind of has its back. Um, when this is opened up and we're upright, then these legs can relax into the earth and this can just be lifted. And in the lift, we relax into the lift. Like I said, virya, when we talk about energy or effort, this virya energy effort is an effortless effort. So we, we bring the effort and we relax into the effort. We bring the effort and we relax into the effort. And so we're always in this bringing effort and relaxing into the effort. And then our nose itches. Or we have some phantom pain in the back that seems to have appeared. It wasn't there a minute ago, but now it's there. And then when we bring our attention to it, it moves somewhere else. The back in particular seems to have a capacity for phantom pains. We need to learn the difference between the real ones and the phantom ones. But usually, you can tell. Because they move around a lot. They're here for a minute, and then they're over here, and then they're somewhere else. This, I consider these the like little trickster egoic trickster events that happen in order to get you back into the way you're used to living, which is when the mind does something, the body follows. Right? There's an itch. The mind can't tolerate the itch. The body needs to scratch it. And so now the body is back in control of the mind again. And its impulses. That transition is, is a fiery one. Right? Because there is a whole period of time where it's almost, in, it's very hard to tolerate sweat rolling down into my eye. But what's going to happen? Right? Sweat's going to roll down into our eye. And so there's, so beginning to discern harm from things that we can't tolerate. 
if there is a if there is a fiery pinpointed thing in your knee that doesn't go away, that is not a phantom move. Things that happen in the lower back that feel um, usually usually the things you need to move are sharp and clear. They're not, and and you can feel that something is wrong. Right? It's not a matter of tolerating. If your leg goes completely numb, not circulatory numbness, where as soon as you move your leg, it comes back, that's, your circulatory system is magnificent. It reroutes, it's fabulous. But if you cut off your, um, if you cut off your, uh, oh, what's the word I'm not remembering right now? What? Sciatic nerve, thank you. Sciatic nerve in particular runs, you can tell because it, it runs through the, the middle of your back and then down through your glute and into the side of your leg. That, when that thing gets cut off, your leg goes numb like a dead tree. And that is not safe. And you need to move your leg. If you're, un, if you're uncomfortable about moving, we just do a little bow to tell everybody, excuse me, I'm moving, and then we move. And the good thing about this bow to move Everybody, I recommend everyone do this and take up this form because then you have to really see, am I doing this just because it's compulsive and I have to do it or because I need to do it? You have to ask yourself that question before you do it rather than without a thought. Right. Now again, it may seem, um, this level of stillness may seem overkill. but it takes a great deal of intention to shift our relationship to the mind. Because everything, more now I think than ever, because every single thing in the society around you is training you in compulsion. Is training us in impulsiveness and compulsion. Between entertainment and food and it's all just an onslaught of that way of being in the world. And so to really sit and go the way Buddha talked about is go against the stream of that. And if he saw now, I don't know what he would think. <laughs> like you poor people. Um, And so the training in that every day, this is one of the reasons the everydayness of zazen is so important. And we don't like it. I mean, one of the things that come back is I just have, especially for having difficult times, you don't like sitting still and feeling all of that. And that is exactly the point. And that's not, you know, I understand sometimes people need breaks, but know this, that this is just something to know as we walk this path is the moments we do not want to sit zazen are often the moments we need to sit zazen. Because we need to see, one of the reasons we don't scratch itches is because, boy, are there going to be worse things than itches. The amount of concentration, we're building concentration. We're building stability of the mind. And I don't mean concentration like I can focus on a single thing for a long time. That can be confused with just addictive attention. 
But I mean concentration in that the mind is gathered, that all of the shards of, you know, all of the glistening shards that grab our attention all over the place where we find, the mind gets gathered and it's able to be stable with whatever phenomena arises in it. And the toughest phenomena arising usually in the mind is our own suffering, is our own pain. And so we're building a physical capacity to do that and we're, and we're releasing the wisdom of the body to be available to it. It won't be our thinking. Our thinking will help, but it won't be our thinking that gets us out. It won't be our thinking that frees us. It won't be our beliefs. It will be our discipline in this practice. It will just be returning every day. That will be the thing that does it. That I feel infinite confidence in. So I'm, I just want to say that to encourage all of you to um, bring energy to Zazen. Let the bottom of the body really ground into the earth. And know that you're supported. You're completely supported. You're supported in this by the earth. You're supported in this by the tradition. You're supported in this by all the ancestors who kept the fire going in a thousand rooms to make sure this tradition came to us. You're supported by all the people in this room. That's why we're here for each other. We could do it in our rooms, but we all know what that feels like. Right? It's the love of each other's presence. Even if, even if none of you are feeling love at this moment, your presence in and of itself is an act of love for each other. And every other body feels it. And if there was ever a time we need communal acts of love, this is the time. Thank you all. And so we're going to sit the rest of the day together and um, know that your zazen is caring for everyone else in the room and that everyone else's zazen is caring for you. May our intentions equally penetrate every Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.